0: Amy Stuttle. I'm super pumped about this episode because we are welcoming the author of The Penis Book, urologist Dr. Aaron Spitz to the show. Dr. Spitz is not only a urologist and author, but he is also a television personality who is frequently called upon to shed light on various men's health topics. He has appeared on Dr. Phil, The Real Housewives, and he is a frequent guest and part time co host on the popular CBS talk show. The doctors. In 2018, Dr. Spitz was featured in the documentary The Game Changers on Netflix, which shed light on the game changing effects of a plant based diet in elite athletes. Dr. Spitz has also authored several peer reviewed journal articles regarding the treatment of male fertility. He serves as the lead delegate representing all of America's urologists to the American Medical Association. In 2020, the American Urological Association presented Dr. Spitz with the Distinguished Service Award. Dr. Spitz is a national leader in health policy for urologists across the nation. Dr. Spitz, I know you're a very, very busy man, and I'm honored you have taken the time out of your day to be on the show. So thank you for joining me.
1: I'm happy to be here. Thank you.
0: You've done a lot. How long have you been practicing (laughs) urology?
1: Yeah, I've been in practice for about 23 years now.
0: Okay, so you're just getting started.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) That's why they call it practice. Exactly.
0: so So let's start with the penis book, a doctor's complete guide to the penis from size to function and everything in between. I have personally read the book. I listened to it book on tape as well, and we recommend it to all of our patients at Victory Men's Health. And in this book, you have a five-step plan to maximize penis health. And I think that you do a great job of breaking it down for the average male. So I would like you to do the same for our guest today. And those five are food, sex exercises, going offline, slash porn, detox, and sleep. So let's talk about food. On the Game Changers documentary, you explored the link between a plant-based diet and improved sexual performance. Do you recommend a plant-based diet to your patients?
1: Yes, I do. So Uh there's a lot of controversy around nutritional science, but there's also a lot of good data out there. And what we're seeing is that a plant-based diet, a whole food plant-based diet, so that's gonna be basically eating out of the produce section, vegetables, fruits, nuts, legumes, that tends to result in the best circulation And the lowest cancer risk and erections are all about circulation and so if you want a good healthy system of blood vessels pumping blood to your penis which is what an erection is all about a whole food plant-based diet is going to get you that most likely better than any other diet based on the data that we've seen uh, from many different studies and so i recommend that as much as possible try to phase in the vegetables and fruits and phase out the animal products doesn't have to be absolute, but the greater that proportion of fruits and vegetables on your plate, I think, and data indicates the the better the blood flow of your penis is going to be in the long term.
0: And is that because of the nitric oxide production those vegetables are able to create for you?
1: Yeah. So the reason that fruits and vegetables are so good for your circulation is in large part due to nitric oxide. Fruits and vegetables contribute way more nitric oxide into your blood than animal products do. We also make some of our own nitric oxide, but as we get older, we make less and less of it. So we probably depend more and more on what we're eating. There's also thousands of other phytonutrients in food, in fruits and vegetables. Many of them have anti-inflammatory properties and healing properties, keeping our blood vessels as young and as healthy as possible over and above just the nitric oxide.
0: And on the Game Changers, you did a blood test on these college athletes. And hang on, I just want to back up. Did you pay those college athletes to do that study, by the way? Because they were so uncomfortable (laughs) laughing. I was like, oh, my gosh.
1: Yeah, no, no, nobody was paid to participate. They came willingly. (laughs) So
0: if you haven't watched the Game Changers, you have to watch it because these young athletes that are hooked up to this erection device and getting their blood test. They just can't help but giggle. So anyway, you show the blood samples next to each other. And on the plant-based diet, you showed basically the clear plasma, you know, representing less fat. And then when you ate the meat, you showed it kind of cloudy representing the fat. So what were you trying to explain there?
1: Right. So in that scene, there was actually a different physician who was a cardiologist doing that particular study with three guys from the Miami Dolphins. And what they were showing is that soon after you eat an animal-based diet, there's going to be a lot of cloudy fat molecules in your blood. And there are some negative impacts of that on your circulation, but it was just a visual demonstration of how obviously different the amount of fat in your blood is after an animal diet based uh, versus after a plant-based diet. Because the one Miami dolphin who's vegan, you know, he just ate a veggie burrito and you can see very simply, they just took his and went down, way more clear. And then when they gave the other guys plant-based foods, their serum was a lot more clear. too. The study I did was on three college athletes, and we put a measuring device on their penises called the rigid people, and that tells how rigid your penis is while you're asleep. And the reason we do that is because while you're asleep, your erections are not under your conscious control, so you're not going to have any performance anxiety any psychological reasons why you might not be able to have a good erection in response to whatever we're testing you on. And in this case, we were testing them on food. And so while they were asleep, after a animal-based diet, which was a, a beef or a pork burrito, chicken burrito, we measured how many times they got erections while they were asleep unconscious and how long they lasted and how firm they were. And that's what this little gizmo that goes on the penis, there's this measuring device, it's got some eight. D-cell batteries in it, it's clunky, it's taped to the leg, but they did it. And next morning, the thing gets uploaded to a computer and it and it reads out this graph of all your erections over the course of the night. It kind of looks like a seismograph and where it spikes, how long that spike stays up, that's how long the erection lasts and how high that spike is, that's how hard it was. And they did it two nights in a row and then uh, we compared the results with, uh, you know, veggie burritos versus you know, pork or beef uh, burritos and it was remarkably different. And I pointed out, uh, and by different, what I mean is after the plant-based burrito, there were more erections, they lasted longer, and they were firmer. But I did point out this is a really limited experiment, you know, three guys, and we can't draw valid scientific conclusions from this yet, but it certainly points in a direction that says, hey, there is probably really something here, and let's do some further studies. And in fact, we are. So there is a much larger study that's about to start. In New York, with medical students, about 70 same kind of experiment burritos, but it'll be plant-based diet versus animal-based diet, and then we're gonna get a lot more data. And I'm excited to see it. If it doesn't pan out, so be it. But I, I think it's very likely it's gonna pan out, given just how big the difference was with these three guys. Because with these three guys, we were seeing, you know, a 300 percent difference.
0: Yeah, they were funny when they were opening their results, all looking at each other.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He's like, show me yours, I'll show you
0: mine. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And even how you guys did it on the show, like they had to pull it out of the envelope. I'm like, oh my gosh. (laughs) It 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 was
1: fun. And, you know, it was really, their reactions were completely genuine because we just shot that scene as it happened, wasn't rehearsed. And it was so fun to kind of go through that with them because even though they're, incredible athletes. They were elite college athletes in their schools. Yeah, you know, they were kind of like boys and the giggling and, and the fun of that.
0: It was funny. Do you use that device on anybody else? Cause I've never seen that device like in your practice. Do you use that?
1: Yeah. So I, I don't routinely use it in my practice, but it used to be used to try to distinguish between psychological erectile dysfunction and physical. Is it in your head performance anxiety? Or do you have a physical problem? And if you put one of these on and you had erections throughout the night uh, up to a certain you know, threshold, then you could say, look, your body is working. You know, When your brain is not getting in the way, your body's working and you don't actually have physical ED. But where it's really used more these days is in clinical trials to test how well medications or therapies for erections work. So these, this device was used to help verify that Viagra worked, that Cialis worked, that worked, and uh, it may also be used to look at the side effects on the reference. So, okay. So it's much more a research tool than a regular routine diagnostic tool.
0: Okay. So let's move on to number two: sex exercises. And so I talked about Kegel exercises in a previous podcast. And I was in the car with my husband listening to the episode, and he pauses it and he looks at me, and goes kegel so i need to be doing that that thing down in the gym more and i was like what and he goes yeah the kegel thing And i'm like that's a kettleball <laughs> not a kegel <laughs> not a kegel ball and it was in that moment that i was like whoa okay apparently we need to educate men a little more on what kegels are in sex exercises if my husband <laughs> thinks it is a kettleball.
1: <laughs> That's great. Yeah. No. So, a Kegel exercise is very simple to learn. It's just the motion that you make when you're trying to, have to pee or poop. So that squeeze that you make to hold in your urine or hold in your stool is squeezing all the muscles that you are intending to squeeze with a Kegel exercise. And those muscles are around your urethral opening, around the anus, and they're also around the base of the penis. And so, when a man is having an erection those muscles will start to involuntarily squeeze. And when they squeeze the base of the penis, it's like squeezing a balloon that's inflated. If you squeeze one end of it, the rest of the balloon gets even more rigid, right? Because you're pushing that air into a smaller amount of that balloon. Well, when the muscles at the base of the penis are squeezing while you're having an erection, it makes it even more rigid. It's sort of that throb that you might see with a really hard erection. That's from the squeezing of those uh, muscles in part And so if you can increase the muscle tone of those muscles, when they do go to squeeze, they'll squeeze even harder and it can help improve the strength of your erection. And they'll be able to squeeze for a longer period of time, helping you sustain that erection. That muscle squeeze is not the only reason that an erection occurs, but it is a part of it. And you have some control over that by doing Kegel exercises. The other thing that those muscles do is they squeeze during ejaculation. So when the semen is coming out of the tip of the penis and squirts, each squirt is because those muscles are squeezing at the base of the penis, again, compressing the urethra so that the semen that's in the urethra has to get expelled out through the tip of the penis. And exercising those muscles, again, may allow you to sustain good contractions with your ejaculation. But even more importantly, it may help you have a better feedback of your own ejaculatory, your own climax control. So as you get more familiar with how those muscles feel while they're squeezing and relaxing from your exercises, you'll potentially have a better feedback into what it feels like when you're getting close to climax. And for some men who have premature ejaculation, doing these cable exercises may help them to last longer because they have an earlier warning sign. They know what that feels like down there They're getting that sensation of, uh-oh, I'm starting to contract, and they can relax a little and uh, go a bit longer. That, again, is not the only technique for helping with premature ejaculation, but it can be part of the puzzle. And the other nice thing about those exercises is it also helps with holding your stool, holding your urine. And so as we get older and gravity takes its toll, some of us will start to get unpleasant things like rectal prolapse or a little bit of incontinence. And having those strong Kegel muscles from a good routine, a good practice of good Kegel exercises may help stave that off, delay that, or prevent
0: that over the years. So how often are you recommending the men do this? So
1: Kegel exercises can be done at any time. I could be doing them right now and you wouldn't know, but I would say a good regimen would be two or three times a day for about 30 squeezes, holding each squeeze for about four or five seconds, but you can mix it up. You can do rapid squeezes. You can do really long duration squeezes, but a simple enough regimen would be two or three times a day. So, you know, a momentary pause between each squeeze.
0: For the premature ejaculation, is this probably your top sex exercise that you recommend or is there any other exercises?
1: Well, yes, this would be the top sex exercise, but there are other practices and that's called start-stop-squeeze. This is something that is typically going to be um, instructed by and overseen by a behavioral medicine specialist who specializes in sexual health. So, there are psychologists who specialize in techniques for sexual issues like premature ejaculation, but in very uh, general terms, it's a technique where the man allows stimulation of his penis and either by himself or with his partner when the man starts to get to the point of just about close to ejaculating but just before that point stops whatever the stimulation is whether it's manual or whether it's penetration and if he can't back down from from that moment of stopping he then squeezes or his partner squeezes his penis very firmly very briskly and it's uncomfortable and it kind of breaks the impending oh going over the cliff and so then he calms back down and then he resumes the stimulation manual penetrate what have you and practices on going longer and longer amounts of time, but always stopping and then squeezing if need be, and coming back down from that edge, and learning how to last longer and longer. And over a period of months with you know, dedicated effort, it has been shown that this technique can work as good as prescription pills at allowing a man to last longer before he climaxes.
0: Because premature ejaculation can be a frustrating thing to treat and and also for the patient because there's not a, you know, everybody's kind of looking for that magic bullet and you don't want to be quick to put somebody on a SSRI or, or anything like that. And then they have some of the numbing creams, which, you know, guys like the spontaneity and stuff like that. So it's good to have exercises like this that the men can practice.
1: That's right. But again, the maximum results are going to come with you know, a very dedicated approach, and, and really best under the supervision of a psychologist with sexual medicine expertise.
0: Perfect. So number three, uh, going offline, and you touch a lot in this chapter on pornography. So what are the impacts that pornography have on the brain and your sex life?
1: Well, it turns out that frequent viewing of pornography physically shrinks key centers of the brain that are important for a normal, healthy sexual response. So it's not just a psychological effect. It turns out there's actually a biological measurable effect that can be seen on MRI scans of the brain. I mean, it's quite frightening if you think about that. that something you are watching can actually result in a physical change in your brain, but it does. There's feedback loops in our brain for pleasure and and reward based on dopamine and other chemicals. And it is likely that overstimulation of these uh, feedback loops and the over-release of these hormones and chemicals that result in this physical deterioration of these structures in our brain. So men who are watching pornography daily uh, or several times a week or several times a day can suffer from this. The result is that it's increasingly harder to actually have an erection or to reach a climax. And uh, this is a phenomenon that is starting to show up in high school-aged men which or boys, crazy. which is really yeah, crazy if you think about it because um, you know, prior to the advent of streaming porn, it took very little <laughs> to excite an a 18-year-old guy. Yeah. Now, up to 20% are reporting erectile dysfunction or difficulty reaching a climax, if you can imagine. But fortunately, it appears to be a reversible effect so if you uh, stop watching porn, completely stop watching porn, improvement is notable by about three or four months. But you really have to stay off it, give it time. And it's exactly. something that is you know, really ubiquitous and something that very few people really are aware of. I think people intuitively know, well, it's probably not so good to watch porn because, you know, the themes or, you know, the, it's not realistic. But few people know that it actually is hurting their gray matter, it's actually hurting their brain at the level of the brainstem as well. So porn is dangerous when viewed frequently. If it's viewed infrequently, you know, I don't have any information that that is going to cause a physical problem with your penis or with your sexual response, but that's the deal on porn.
0: Yeah. So it's a little more serious than people might think. And parents need to pay attention if they have high school age kids, if they catch them with porn because it, it can be detrimental to their health
1: i explained to my boys i have three sons about the negative effects of porn once i learned it and they were really glad i told them because they were already going down that road and they had no idea what they were getting themselves into you know few people do and i think that it is um should just become a routine part of the birds and the beast talk
0: yeah Number four on the list, detox. Yes. That can mean, I guess, numerous different things, smoking, vaping, uh, certain medications, alcohol. So why don't we start with smoking or vaping? Because that seems to be the new cool thing to do is these these vape pens.
1: Yeah. So detox is all about uh, you know, stopping putting poisons in your body or trying to minimize the amount of medications that are affecting your sexual function by getting healthier. Smoking cigarettes causes hardening of the arteries, makes the arteries smaller and narrower, and the blood will not flow through them as well to your penis. And it's a very well-recognized cause of erectile dysfunction. Vaping nicotine, though, also may contribute to erectile dysfunction because the nicotine caused a contraction a constriction of the blood vessel, so less, less blood flow to the penis. Chronic marijuana usage, whether it's smoked or vaped, Uh, can cause a decrease in the size and function of the testicles uh, and may affect testosterone level. So vaping or smoking, both are toxic. Alcohol, uh, drinking too much alcohol, has a negative effect on your sexual function. That's true just as a temporary effect, but if you drink too much alcohol over the long run and you get cirrhosis of the liver, which is a terrible Damage to the liver. It also results in high estrogen levels in men, which also knocks out the erections. It knocks out the testosterone as well, has a negative feedback loop. So, alcohol in the short term, if you drink too much, you're going to get whiskey dick, as they say. Now, when you're young, uh, you can power through it. But as you get <laughs> older, you'll notice those effects in your 30s, 40s, 50s. It's not the same. And people say, well, geez, I used to be able to, you know, drink a six-pack, I have no problem. Well, that's not going to happen as you get older. Not to mention, like I said, that the real risk of cirrhosis down the line. Certain people have to take medications for their blood pressure, and those medications make it harder to have erections. Well, the reason they have blood pressure in some cases is because of their lifestyle and diet. And so, if they were exercising more, eating more of a plant-based diet, they may not get the blood pressure that results in the need for the medications that's affecting their erections. Some medications that men take for reasons such as Propecia may cause erectile dysfunction and decrease libido in a small percentage of men. So Propecia is something that I really don't recommend to guys, even though they're trying to you know preserve their, their hairline. Rather, I would recommend to them to use a topical like Rogaine, uh, which does not have negative sexual effects. Sex uh, so yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good overview of what we're talking about when we say detox.
0: How do you navigate the Propecia finasteride as a urologist? Because it seems to be pretty commonly prescribed for BPH. And do you just, are you using that in the short term? Or are you using a different medication? Or what do you do in your practice?
1: So finasteride cause erectile dysfunction, sexual dysfunction, But it is in a small percentage of men. I mean, the majority of men who take finasteride do not get sexual dysfunction. However, if you're a young guy, do you really want to even look at that risk when there's an alternative for your hair loss? So I'm a lot more obstructionist about using finasteride with my young guys uh, than I am with my older guys, because uh, with the older population, although, yes, they can get some sexual dysfunction with it, the benefit to them for their urinary system and being able to empty their bladder is, uh, is so much uh, greater than yeah. the benefit uh, with regards to, you know, the hairline and, and the cosmetic because yeah. these guys who are on Propecia with enlarged prostates, they really have a health risk. And so that, that risk benefit ratio is a lot different for them.
0: It seems like we're seeing just more and more men on it because of some of these telehealth companies that you can... Easily access it, and they're not fully understanding some of the consequences. And if they're on hormone therapy, uh, because it's a DHT blocker, they don't quite understand that DHT is five times more powerful than testosterone. And you, you, you sort of need that uh, if you're trying to optimize your hormones here. So,
1: yeah, I think it really can be misused. Another side effect with propecia is gynecomastia, breast tissue enlargement, and if that goes on too long, it's not going to be reversible and may require May may require cosmetic surgery, but the incidence of gynecomastia is really about one percent. The incidence of sexual side effects with propecia, um, the published one is about probably around six seven percent. However, there are scientists and, and researchers out there who believe that the incidence is a lot higher than that. So again, it's really how much benefit are you getting? Is this something you need for your health, or is this something you're using? for cosmetic vanity purposes and if so do you really want to trade the function of your penis for that i don't think
0: (laughs) so number five is sleep so how many hours of sleep should the average person be getting
1: well i think most people agree that about seven hours is probably good but you know there are people who are wired to sleep less but they're unusual and there are people who need more eight or nine hours but I think for most adults in that seven to eight range, it's very good. Now, teenagers need more sleep. They, they may need 10 hours, 11, 12 hours. They're growing. And unfortunately, our, our school system isn't necessarily geared to allow for that. But adults, if we don't get enough sleep, there's a whole bunch of bad stuff that happens to us that we wouldn't even imagine. And we're really seeing that dramatically in people who have sleep apnea. Uh, Sleep apnea is a situation where when you're asleep, your airway kind of closes a little bit and you snore and you actually stop getting oxygen into your blood for periods of time throughout the night. And you don't get into deep sleep because you're sort of waking up just a little bit, not to the point where you're consciously awake, but you don't get into that REM sleep. And what people are learning is untreated sleep apnea results in higher levels of adrenaline which is a, a hormone that we use to, to cope with stress, to, to escape a, an attack. Adrenaline can save your life, but it's only meant for emergencies. And with sleep apnea, you're getting adrenaline release because of the, of the crisis of not getting enough oxygen. But it's at a subconscious level. You're not awake, but your body feels the adrenaline. And all that adrenaline can cause high blood pressure over time. It also can increase your risk of diabetes. And overall, Those impacts can result in a shorter lifespan. The other thing that all that adrenaline does is it makes it harder for you to get erections. You're not going to be getting the erections in the middle of the night that your body wants you to make. So you're not going to get as much blood flow to the penis because adrenaline shuts down blood vessels to the penis. Adrenaline opens up blood vessels to our brain, to our heart, to our lungs, to cope with some kind of physical attack. We got to be ready to go but it draws all the blood away from our less critical parts, like our fingers and toes and our penis. So all that adrenaline release all night with sleep apnea is shutting down the flow of blood of the penis that can carry over into the daytime. The other thing that poor sleep, not getting enough REM sleep can do, whether it's sleep apnea or whether it's being a night shift worker or just you know burning the candle on both ends, if you don't get enough REM sleep, you're not gonna make as much testosterone because it's when we're in REM sleep, when we're dreaming, that the pituitary releases the signal to our testicles to produce testosterone. That signal is called LH or luteinizing hormone. And it's released when we're in REM sleep. And when it's released, our testicles make testosterone. And if it's not released, our testicles don't make testosterone. And so if we're not getting enough REM sleep, our testosterone levels will be lower. And that's been shown. That's been shown in people who don't sleep enough, night shift workers, people, they have lower testosterone. And the good thing is you can fix that problem by getting more sleep.
0: Yeah. They start to notice that they don't have morning erections anymore mm-hmm. because, yeah, because of that. That's right. And how many erections does the average man or should the average man be having in the middle of the night?
1: Well, they wouldn't know how many they're having in the middle of the night unless they use that rigid scan. Well, you're right. <laughs> or their partner stays up all night, you know, taking...
0: <laughs> monitors it.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's typically about, you know, three to five at least. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And, you um, you know, who knows for sure, but it is likely our body's way of allowing a good, strong flush of blood through the penis, whether we are sexually active during the day or not. You know, there's a whole variety of reasons why why men may not be sexually active. It may be by choice, maybe by circumstance. It may be a religious vow, whatever it is. But at night, the body's going to have its erections.
0: Are there any sleep devices that you recommend to patients, or do you wear any sleep tracking, the Apple Watch, Aura rings, anything like that?
1: I personally don't. But I think that there are, you know, more and more devices that are useful. I think one of the primary tactics to get a good night's sleep is to put down your device, put down that cell phone, stop looking at media and content an hour or so before you're going to go to bed. Let the brain wind down. Also, you know, let the lighting get a little dimmer in the house. You can set your phone screen and computer screen to night mode, you know, where it's a little bit sort of yellowy and not, and not that blue that mimics the midday sun. But I think that the biggest thing is just turning off the media. We wake up and the first thing we do is look at our cell phone. And the last thing we do before we go to bed is look at our cell phone. And we got to get out of that habit, particularly in the evening if we want to get a good night's sleep.
0: So those were the five steps in, in your book, and if people want to read more about it, I highly suggest that you get the book and, and it go into detail more. It's, like I said, phenomenal. I've read it and recommend it to all our patients. So I wanted to move in just so, to some other random men's health questions that I have for you now. So you offer a no-needle, no-scalpel vasectomy at your practice correct? Yes. I don't feel like that's very common. I don't see a lot of practices advertise that in the St. Louis market. And can you tell me a little bit about that? And maybe if there's pros or cons to doing it that way?
1: Sure. This is a technique where the no needle part is because I use an injector to inject lidocaine pain medication into the vas deferens through the skin of the scrotum without a needle. What it is, is a very high pressured spray, a very high pressure jet of the liquid. So it it does go through the skin and it does leave a, a little tiny wheel and therefore it does break the skin, but it does it with air pressure pushing the liquid rather than a needle penetrating the skin. It's uncomfortable, but it's less uncomfortable than a needle injection. So it's just a refinement but we still have to get that numbing medicine into the area. And it still is gonna have some level of discomfort. It's akin to like feeling a rubber band snap. And there's a few of these pops or snaps on each vas deferens through the skin there. The nose scalpel is, I still have to make an opening in the skin, but rather than taking a knife edge and slicing the skin, I use what's the equivalent of a baby needle nose pliers, but it's a surgical instrument. But if you can imagine a very small baby sized needle nose pliers, and it pokes through the skin, and then once it's poked through, it spreads open. And so it sort of uh, creates a little opening along the natural cleavage planes of the, of the skin. The opening is a little bit smaller than what's made with the scalpel, and it tends to heal a little bit quicker. And in many cases, it will heal without the need for a stitch being placed in the skin. So that's That's what it means by no needle and no scalpel. There still has to be numbing and there still has to be an opening. But this technique was pioneered in China back around 2000, 2001 as a way to provide quick, practical vasectomies to a large population. And it turned out it really did appear to be a step up in the technique. Now, whether you get a no needle, no scalpel vasectomy or whether you get a vasectomy by some other technique in the end, your contraception will be just as good. It's just that the no needle, no scalpel technique may be a little quicker and your recovery may be a little easier. But that's not to say that the way urologists do vasectomies that aren't the no needle, no scalpel technique can't also be quick and easy for you.
0: Okay. So is that how you do majority of your vasectomies in your practice then?
1: Yes. Yeah, I, I do them that way for, for many, many years. I actually have the benefit of being trained by one of the pioneers of this technique, one of the Chinese urologists who pioneered this technique. So I got a very good training in it.
0: Okay, that's awesome. Because so many guys are afraid of needles and scalpels, or I feel like they would just be running to this this type of vasectomy.
1: Well, the guys that I treat, the guys whose vasectomies are performed, are relieved that it's not a, a needle stick. And even though there's some discomfort with it, I think that for men who are really afraid of needles, even though it's not painless, it's less anxiety provoking because they're not waiting for that feeling that they know of a needle stick.
0: At Victory Men's Health, I feel like we're seeing a lot of patients that are young that have low testosterone and erectile dysfunction. Do you think we're seeing an increase of young men with erectile dysfunction? And why do you think that is?
1: They certainly have more erectile dysfunction. There's no question. And I think a lot of that is related to pornography, whether it's the physical effects on their brains that I mentioned before, or the psychological effects of unreal expectations. These scenes that are depicted in pornography are shot over several hours with people who have unusual characteristics,
0: yeah. <laughs> and yeah.
1: unusual capacities. Yeah. But a young guy or a young woman watching this without any frame of reference of what regular sex is like, perhaps, comes away with unrealistic expectations that set them up for uh disappointment or you know maybe even injury but i do think that pornography plays a big role i also wonder i you know this isn't scientific but i think that there is less opportunities for personal connection between you know young men and women
0: i can see that yeah
1: due to a whole variety of, of reasons the pandemic you know is certainly a, a major reason for that but we also get sucked into our electronic media in our electronic communication, and perhaps there may be, and I don't know, this is just theoretically, the less physical, verbal, tactile, visual, in-person communication we have with each other may have some sort of negative ramification on how we behave with each other and respond to each other intimately.
0: Yeah, I can totally see that. So I want to ask you about using a Doppler uh, to diagnose erectile dysfunction. And do you feel like that's a sales tactic to diagnose a, a venous leak? And would you treat a venous leak cause of erectile dysfunction any differently than, let's say, if there's some calcium buildup in the arteries that's causing the erectile dysfunction?
1: I think just an audio Doppler is not likely to give very actionable information because I think the degree to which you can diagnose a venous leak with an audio Doppler, it's got to be a pretty bad venous leak, and it's certainly not going to show you the diameter of the artery. It's going to be hard to really measure how fast that blood flow is the way you can with the software on a Doppler ultrasound. So I think an audio Doppler as part of the diagnostic and therapeutic protocol for erections is questionable.
0: You're involved in the Ask About the Curve campaign with Xyloflex for treating Peyronie's, which is a curvature of the penis. And that is a series of about six treatments, correct, approximately?
1: So Xyloflex is an injection that breaks down collagen. It's a collagenase. And it's given gradually so that you don't break down too much tissue all at once because the tissue that we're breaking down is aligning around a whole bunch of blood vessels. And if you break that lining down too much, you hit those blood vessels and you got a bad problem. So it's given as a series of cycles of treatment. Each cycle is two injections. And then there's a pause of about six weeks. And then you go to the next cycle. And insurance typically approves it up to four cycles, which would be a total of eight injections. Some men are better after two, but that's rare. Some better four, some six, and many require all eight.
0: Are you using a penis pump or extender as adjunct treatment with that or not?
1: Yes. In my practice, I do. It's not part of the FDA label, but studies out of Mayo Clinic indicated that it was safe and and provided some increased straightening and lengthening. And so I have my patients use the Restorex penis traction device, but they have to wait until they're not too sore because these injections do cause a fair amount of swelling, soreness, and some bruising. And so until they get to that point where they can tolerate the traction device, which may be a few days or a week, they do just some simple stretching exercises with their hand, very simple stuff that's part of the FDA label.
0: Is there a certain percentage of like curvature that you start to see when it starts to become uncomfortable or painful for the man? Because I think some men can tolerate a certain level of curvature.
1: Yeah, the pain of the curvature is actually not necessarily because of how curved it is and the torque or the bend on the on the erection. The source of the curvature is an abnormal thickening in the lining of the shaft of the penis with too much collagen being deposited in a disorganized way. And that spot will not stretch the same way the rest of the shaft does. And so there's a kink or an angulation around that spot. But that spot, which we call a plaque, is inherently painful. Whether the curvature is 20 degrees or whether the curvature is 90 degrees, men can get pain just from that spot.
0: So how large that plaque is doesn't necessarily correlate with the percentage of curvature they have.
1: Not exactly, because men can have a plaque that is too thin to feel that can cause a significant curvature. So that tissue isn't expanding, but it's not it's not real thick like you can like a like a little nub that you can feel. Other men can have very large plaques that are very hard, but the penis is not curving a whole lot, but it might be narrowed. So. It's all going to be, you know, architecture of how well this lining can expand and where it can't and where it kinks and where it gets narrowed. But it's not a real easy correlation because there's a lot of, I would say, physics that goes into that. And so it's really kind of, you know, what you get is what you get.
0: Yeah. Okay. So let's do some rapid fire questions here on things that I feel like men are often curious about. What is the average size of a man's penis?
1: So the average size of a man's penis is about five and a quarter inches. And normal is two standard deviations shorter than that, as well as two standard deviations longer than that. So a little over four inches to around seven inches is the range of normal.
0: Okay. Is there any relationship between a man's shoe size or hand size and the size of their penis?
1: may be a very weak correlation in these things, but the studies are poor and the correlation is weak. And as a urologist, I've seen all kinds of interesting combinations of big penises and small feet and big feet and big penises and small penises and big hands. So it's <laughs> it's a rough correlation <laughs> and it's a very mild correlation.
0: So tell us the difference between a grower and a shower.
1: Ah, uh, Yes. So that lining of the penis that surrounds the blood vessels that expands when you get an erection. For some men, that tissue, that lining is constructed in a way that's much more elastic than in other men. And there are these little fibers, molecular fibers called elastin that's in the tissue. And so men who are growers have a lot more elastin than men who are showers. So what that means is their shaft or their penis this tissue under the skin can contract a lot more and it can expand a lot more so it changes size a lot more from flaccid to erect and so when it's cold and they have shrinkage they get a lot more shrinkage but when they are having an erection their penis is the same size it just can it can just stretch a whole lot more and contract a whole lot more the the showers don't change nearly as much so when their penis is flaccid it tends to look bigger than the growers, but when it's erect, it's not necessarily any bigger uh, in the fully erect state. So the showers look better in the locker room, but the growers (laughs) look just as good in the bedroom.
0: (laughs) I like that saying. Should men pee after sex? I think
1: it's probably a good idea to urinate after sex because there is normal naturally occurring bacteria in the vagina, or if you're using other orifices, uh, there's going to be bacteria there. Now, a man's urethra is of a length to where it usually doesn't allow bacteria to get all the way up and into the bladder, but it can. And so if you urinate after sex, you're flushing out that bacteria that's at the opening and not giving it a chance to take up shot.
0: What kind of underwear should men wear?
1: Whatever's comfortable.
0: <laughs> I've seen these new underwear that like separate the testicles from the penis. I don't what
1: Yeah, I... I think it really comes down to what's comfortable for you. You know, they've done studies about boxers versus briefs, and it really hasn't panned out as far as fertility goes. And the one thing you want is underwear that keeps you dry because in a dark, moist environment around your scrotum and penis, yeast, fungus love to proliferate. So if you are wearing underwear that is allowing you to get kind of sweaty for extended periods of time, you're gonna have a higher risk of getting jock itch. So best underwear is what's comfortable and what keeps you dry.
0: Is it true that COVID can cause erectile dysfunction?
1: Yes, it is true. Uh, COVID can cause erectile dysfunction. Fortunately, it appears to be a temporary effect that goes away over time, typically in weeks to months, but the virus can affect the blood vessels to the penis uh, and make the, the blood flow worse. And also it can affect the testicles too, Uh, and it can lower sperm counts temporarily. So it is a real thing, but fortunately it does appear to be reversible.
0: Well, thank you for the rapid fires. I have two uh, last questions for you. Is there anything new that's happening in the field of urology that is exciting to you, like in the future?
1: Yeah, I think that low intensity shockwave therapy is an exciting direction. This is still not an FDA-approved therapy, but it is offered uh, more widely now, and uh, we have recently incorporated it into our practice, and it does appear to provide improvement in blood flow and erections in well-selected men. So I think that's an exciting direction. I think that PRP and stem cells still have more science that needs to be accumulated to understand if they work and how well they work and how to use them. But men can find clinical trials in the United States uh, where they are being used if they wanna seek that out. I think that ongoing insights into nutrition has been very exciting in urology because my colleagues have been presenting more and more papers about the association of a plant-based diet with lower risk of erectile dysfunction Plant-based diet with lower incidence of prostate cancer. So, a growing understanding of nutrition and how plant-based diet is effective, I think, is exciting because it's so cheap and easy. You just—it's what you choose to put in your grocery basket, and there you go. So, yeah, those are those are some of the, the new and interesting areas that I'm excited about.
0: We do wave therapy at Victory and the improvement on their SHIM scores are pretty, pretty impressive because we do the SHIM scores after their, yeah, you know, six, 12 treatments, whatever they're doing. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very exciting for men, probably like one of the biggest breakthroughs since Viagra for erectile dysfunction. So it's awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Very exciting.
0: Podcast and books. Are there any podcasts that you listen to or is there a book that you're reading right now?
1: Wow well as far as podcasts go what I'm actually listening to right now are podcasts from our annual American Neurological Association meeting because there's so many presentations you can't see them all so I'm listening to those uh, trying to get top of my game with whatever the latest greatest is. As far as books boy you know I I don't read as many books as I would like to. But I do have a couple of recommendations if people want to dig more into the plant-based issues. The book that really turned my attention towards plant-based eating was a book called The China Study by Campbell. And it's been around a while. And then his son actually wrote a really easy to read and use cookbook called The Engine 2 Diet. So those are a, a couple of books. And then you can get sort of a quick and easy distillation of the China study book with a, a documentary called Forks Over Knives, which is pretty easy to find. But of course, a lot of that has all been kind of, sort of repackaged up for you in the Game Changers movie. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We highly uh, recommend a ton, uh, ton of stuff in it. Yeah. people watch the, the Game Changers documentary. They did an yeah. excellent job. They're keeping that informative and entertaining at the same time, sometimes right. challenging right. to do in documentaries. Well, how can people find you on social media? Do you want to give your, do you know your Instagram handle or website that people could visit?
1: Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I'll find it
0: and I'll attach it in the show notes for you. (laughs) Jennifer
1: Neely. you know, you've been talking to Jennifer Neely. She's like deals with that.
0: Uh, he has a handler, folks. Okay. He's a big handler for these things. But I know,
1: I know Aaron, Aaron Spitz.com is a website, but yeah, the Instagram, I, got, I have to look it up. I'm so sorry. I'm like social media agnostic.
0: <laughs> no, it's fine. So as always, I'll attach studies that support today's conversation, and I'll attach his book, the Netflix series, his Instagram handle. And if you, you could <laughs> like, share, rate the show, as I said, it always helps to bring a guest on the show. I appreciate everybody listening. Dr. Spitz, I really appreciate your time, sir.
1: Thank you so much. It was a great talk. Take care.